Chapter Thirteen of the Book of Snobs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lawrence. The Book of Snobs by William Makepeace Thackeray. Chapter Thirteen On Clerical Snobs. Among the varieties of the snob clerical, the university snob and the scholastic snob ought never to be forgotten. They form a very strong battalion in the black-coated army. The wisdom of our ancestors, which I admire more and more every day, seemed to have determined that education of youth was so paltry and unimportant a matter that almost any man, armed with a birch and regulation cassock and degree, might undertake the charge and many an honest country gentleman may be found to the present day who takes a very good care to have a character with his butler when he engages him and will not purchase a horse without the warranty and the closest inspection but sends off his son young john thomas to school without asking any questions about the schoolmaster and places the lad at switchester college under dr block because he the good old english gentleman had been at switchester under dr buswig forty years ago we have a love for all little boys at school for many scores of thousands of them read and love punch may he never write a word that shall not be honest and fit for them to read he will not have his young friends to be snobs in the future or to be bullied by snobs or given over to such to be educated our connection with the young at the universities is very close and affectionate the candid undergraduate is our friend the pompous old college don trembles in his common room lest we should attack him and show him up as a snob when railroads were threatening to invade the land which they have since conquered it may be recollected what a shrieking and outcry the authorities of oxford and eton made lest the iron abominations should come near those seats of pure learning and tempt the british youth astray the supplications were in vain the railroad is upon them and the old-world institutions are doomed. I felt charmed to read in the papers the other day a most voracious puffing advertisement headed to college and back for five shillings. The college gardens, it said, will be thrown open on this occasion. The college youths will perform a regatta. The chapel of King's College will have its celebrated music, and all for five shillings. The Goths have got into Rome, Napoleon Stevenson draws his republican lines around the sacred old cities, and the ecclesiastical bigwigs who garrison them must prepare to lay down key and crozier before the iron conqueror. If you consider, dear reader, what profound snobbishness the university system produced, you will allow that it is time to attack some of those feudal middle-age superstitions. If you go down for five shillings to look at the college youths, you may see one sneaking down the court without a tassel to his cap, another with a gold or silver fringe to his velvet trencher, a third lad with a master's gown and hat, walking at ease over the sacred college grass plats, which common men must not trod on. He may do it because he is a nobleman. Because a lad is a lord, the university gives him a degree at the end of two years, which another is seven in acquiring. Because he is a lord, he has no call to go through an examination. Any man who has not been to college and back for five shillings would not believe in such distinctions in a place of education, so absurd and monstrous they seem to be. 
the lads with gold and silver lace are sons of rich gentlemen and called fellow commoners they are privileged to feed better than their pensioners and to have wine with their victuals which the latter can only get in their rooms the unlucky boys who have no tassels to their caps are called scissars servitors at oxford a very pretty and gentlemanlike title a distinction is made in their clothes because they are poor for which reason they wear a badge of poverty and are not allowed to take their meals with their fellow students when this wicked and shameful distinction was set up it was of a piece with all the rest a part of the brutal unchristian blundering feudal system distinctions of rank were then so strongly insisted upon that it would have been thought blasphemy to doubt them as blasphemous as it is in parts of the united states now for a nigger to set up as the equal of a white man a ruffian like henry the eighth talked as gravely about the divine powers vested in him as if he had been an inspired prophet a wretch like james i not only believed that there was in himself a particular sanctity but other people believed him government regulated the length of a merchant's shoes as well as meddled in his trade prices exports machinery it thought itself justified in roasting a man for his religion or pulling a jew's teeth out if he did not pay a contribution or ordered him to dress in a yellow gabardine and locked him in a particular quarter now a merchant may wear what boots he pleases and has pretty nearly acquired the privilege of buying and selling without the government laying its paws upon the bargain the stake for heretics is gone the pillory is taken down bishops are even found lifting up their voices against the remains of persecution and ready to do away with the last catholic disabilities sir robert peel though he wished it ever so much has no power over mr benjamin disraeli's grinders or any means of violently handling that gentleman's jaw jews are not called upon to wear badges on the contrary they may live in piccadilly or the minories according to fancy they may dress like christians and do sometimes in a most elegant and fashionable manner why is the poor collared servitor to wear that name and badge still because universities are the last place into which reform penetrates but now that she can go to college and back for five shillings, let her travel down thither. End of chapter 13 Recording by David Lawrence in Brampton, Ontario, August the 6th, 2009